Hello, everyone, and welcome to our special edition of Elections Weekly. We're announcing our ratings changes, our final ratings changes for the midterm elections for the 2022 cycle. Uh, we have moved all of our toss-up ratings into Leans Republican or Leans Democratic. Those are the only changes we've made. We've not shifted anything else here. This is basically just setting up what we expect is going to happen uh, on tomorrow's midterm elections, who is going to control Congress, which gubernatorial offices are going to flip. So let's go right into things here. I'm going to show you our rating shifts. Uh, as you'll notice right here, fairly even balance of both sides. Oh, that's not a good thing for Democrats. Uh, this is 10 House shifts for the Republicans and eight House shifts towards the Democrats on top of a bunch of, a bunch of statewide races shifting into the Leans Republican or Leans Democratic category. Let's start out, though, Arizona governor, Arizona Senate. We have Arizona governor's race, uh, Leans Republican. We expect Carrie Lake to be the winner here. And the Arizona Senate race, Leans Democratic. Uh, Mark Kelly, the incumbent Democrat, elected in 2020 in a special election. We expect him to win. So I'll throw it to Joe here. Why are these two different? What's going on? Uh, I know you have a lot to say about the governor race and a lot to say about the Senate race here. So let's get into it. Yeah. So the governor's race, obviously, it's been a longstanding, controversial race here. You have Kari Lake, obviously a controversial candidate, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, has said some controversial things, has very much hyped up the idea that voter fraud has uh, Im impacted the 2020 elections. Uh, and then Katie Hobbs, the Democratic candidate, the current secretary of state, certainly an interesting run there against uh, Lake, the election denier against the election official. Uh, but Hobbs has come under heavy criticisms for how she's run her campaign. I do not think she's been as aggressive as many Democrats would have wanted to, her to be. She has refused to debate Kari Lake. Uh, it's kind of been the, the one-off here of Lake. Well, Lake is certainly as controversial as candidates like Doug Mastriano. Something that Lake has going for her is that she is significantly more charismatic uh, on TV and in commercials and in person than people yeah, like Mastriano, like, like her. Uh, po uh, her opposite, uh, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, I could go on and on. But the fact is, is that right now in the averages, uh, Lake right now does have an advantage. But there's also this, you know, you look at the polling advantage, too. There's also kind of a vibes feeling going on here. Gubernatorial elections have always not super, but at least slightly less polarized than federal elections are. Uh, we think that for whatever reason, we feel like uh, that the people of Arizona are leading more towards a Republican governor and a Democratic senator right now. But in this governor's race, Lake has a not sizable but clear advantage that makes us think she's the favorite in this race. Uh, we'd be surprised to see her lose, uh, but it wouldn't be we wouldn't be so surprised to see her lose. It's only a Leans Republican rating, mind you, but we would be slightly surprised to see her lose at this point. We've got the governor race going towards Carly Lake and Republicans. But on the Democratic side, obviously, we've seen some late polling benefit Blake Masters, the Republican candidate. This race is tightened. But in the end, we do still see Mark Kelly, the incumbent Democratic senator, pulling this out. We haven't really seen, we feel like, enough proof that Blake Masters is going to be the candidate to pull this out for Democrats here. Excuse me, for Republicans here. Excuse me. Uh, but we don't really see enough proof of that either in the polling or kind of in the noise down below. Again, it's not... As uncommon as some would think that states would split their gubernatorial and Senate ticket. That's not as uncommon as some would think. Uh, it's hard to necessarily say that's an uncommon thing. And like I said, the, for whatever reason, the gubernatorial elections, even this age of massive polarization, still slightly less polarized 
in our federal elections are. You see more split ticket voting there. See more people willing to go for a Democrat in the Senate and a Republican in their governor's office. You've been seeing that a little bit more often. And again, we just don't see necessarily the environment where we right now, where we see masters really being the favorite here. Uh, it's just kind of too hard for us to see right now. So we have Kelly as the favorite. Uh, again, slight favorite, but it's enough to say, yes, this is a lean Democratic race. And we see Mark Kelly winning a full term to the United States Senate. Him and that money printer keep going on for the Democrats in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically echo all of that. Um, Blake Masters has seen a late surge, which did give us a bit of pause. Um, we had some discussion about whether we should go out on a limb and shift it to Masters. But the, diff the difference here is that surge might have just come too late. And Mark Kelly has had the advantage all all cycle, really. Um, mm -hmm. And there has been some discussion about whether Blake Masters could get pulled over the line by, uh, by Kari Lake. And if you see Lake winning by five points, that's something you could probably see happening. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's as small of an... It, if her lead is as small as we seem to think it is, I don't know that that's enough to pull Masters over the line. Yeah, again, I would be in agreement. I would say keep an eye on her margin. If this was around five points, uh, which would be a really, really good night for Carrie Lake, I would think. Um, this is one where, you again, she has been campaigning with all of the statewide Republicans. She's pushing very heavily, unlike some other governors. Uh, she's been pushing heavily for the down ballot ticket. Um, if she's winning by that amount, it's very possible that Masters could win. If it's between, if it's like two points, a two point win, that's more difficult for Masters to pull over. A lot of the electorate still does not know who Blake Masters is. His issue isn't so much that he's unpopular as it is he's not very well known. Although his um, approvals aren't fantastic. Yeah, his, his approvals are not great, but it's not like they're so far below water that this would be a given thing. It's like a lot of they're people not genuinely, honest. yeah, they don't know. They don't know who he is, but I feel like that's kind of the baseline of Arizona here. Let's move on to another one real quick. Not a lot to talk about with Georgia because we don't, our result is kind of a non-call here, and I'll explain why. So leans runoff asterisk. What does this mean? We think the most likely result in Georgia is a runoff election. We think the most likely result here is that neither candidate will get 50% plus one vote, enough to carry them over the line. That being said, we do not think the odds of this happening – are over 50%. We think it's the most likely option, but we think a majority of the time, something else will happen, which would be either a Walker win outright or a Warnock win outright. Out of those two scenarios, we think a Walker win is more likely. So in order of priority here, we think a runoff is most likely. If a runoff does not happen, we are favoring Walker over Warnock. If a runoff does happen, we've not decided on what our rating would be at that point. Um, but if out of those options right now, Warnock went outright is the least likely option. Again, the, the governor race here is likely Republican. We expect Kemp to win by a healthy margin. Uh, we don't know exactly what the margin is. Most polls show around five to eight points. Uh, that's a very healthy margin for a Georgia Republican, even before the Trump era. That's a pretty good result for Georgia Republicans. Yeah. And, um, and sorry, and a lot like um, the Arizona races, um, if Kemp is winning by eight, maybe that, that helps pull Walker over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, you have two candidates here who have their own issues. Walker, Warnock is certainly the one who has been pushing out a lot more negative ads. And we've kind of been talking about this whole cycle. Whichever candidate goes nuclear first 
is the one who's more worried. We do think because of this, Warnock is the least likely of the bunch to win outright. We'd be uh, very surprised if that happened, but it's still likely enough that we don't think for sure that it's out of the possibility. And the early voting shows a black enough electorate to keep Warnock competitive. Yeah. Again, even if, even if Walker gets 49.99% of the vote, that's not enough. You got to get 50% of the vote and then one vote on top of that. You have to win a majority of votes in Georgia. Otherwise, there's a runoff. And if there is a runoff, uh, congratulations, you're getting another month or so of election coverage from us. Um, so we'll go into free our next content. one. Yeah, free content. Woo. So we're going to go to our next race here, Kansas governor. Uh, this one is gave us a lot of trouble. I would say we've gotten very few polls. The polls we have had are stuff like Emerson, which is fine, but it's not been anything too revealing. Um, we're keeping this at Leans Democratic. Uh, we moved this to toss up last week. We're moving to Leans Democratic now. But I think there's a lot of unease on our team because this is we genuinely don't know a lot about Kansas. Laura Kelly is quite popular, uh, relatively popular as far as governors go. We do expect this to be a year favoring Republicans, though. And on top of this, polls in the past have overestimated Democrats to some degree in Kansas. So let's go ahead and throw it to Joe and Dylan. I know basically what we're looking at here is we do think Kelly is the favorite here. We think she's the most likely candidate to win, and there's reasons for this. Yeah, and those reasons are basically twofold. One, again, the little polling we have, I know there's some uncertainty uh, over the polling in Kansas. After what were some, some definite misses uh, in 2020, severely overestimated the shares of candidates like Barbara Bollier and others. Uh, their shares are certainly overestimated in those races. Uh, and number, but uh, we do think though, this is kind of the big reason here. Number two, Kelly is a relatively quite popular governor in Kansas. Uh, and it's very, very rare to see governors who are, mm -hmm. you know, at least 52, 53% approvals get thrown out, even in wave years. I wrote an article about this earlier in the cycle, it is very, very hard to knock off an incumbent governor. A lot of the flips that you see in uh, election years, usually on wave years, are usually because the governor's race is open. Now, there's usually always about an average of two incumbent governors, I'd say, about an average of two that are thrown out uh, every year. As you, you'll see in our ratings, we do actually have two uh, losing uh, in, in, uh, in our ratings this year. So that would put us at about the average. But it's just we don't see one of those being Kelly. We think she beats the odds again here. Uh, Kansas is a shape that is shifting very, very interestingly here. Uh, obviously, the Kansas City suburbs out to the west are making up for a lot of intrigue right now in the state. Not enough at the federal level for sure, but at the statewide level where Democrats have been successful before, we think they're going to be successful here mm -hmm. uh, before Kelly. We think just the fundamentals of this race, too much favoring uh, the incumbent Kelly right now. I think Derek Schwartz going to get close. I don't think it'll be close enough. Mm -hmm. Worth noting yeah. there is a third party candidate on the ballot. Um, Derek Pyle, who is running as an independent and is taking votes away from Schmidt. This is one factor here as well. Kelly does not need a majority of the vote to win here. Uh, if like polls are indicating Pyle is taking three to 5% of the vote, that is a problem for Schmidt. Yeah. Our predictions are only as good as the evidence we're presented with. And in this race, we have not been presented with a lot of evidence in either direction. Mm -hmm. But I basically echo everything Joe said. Um, her approvals are good enough. Um, and the gubernatorial race in 2018 
was actually fairly close, even though the previous governor, Sam Brownback, had incredibly low approval ratings. Mm -hmm. um, so I just don't see this flipping. Mm -hmm. And if I recall right, her approval ratings, according to Morning Consul, is somewhere in the room of like 57 to 58%. Yeah. Um, you'd have to go back probably to 2006, Bob Ehrlich, to find someone who lost, who was as popular as Kelly, who lost. Uh, he lost that race in Maryland, which is a very, very blue state, not as blue then as it is now. Um, it did have a Republican governor, it did elect Republicans in 2010 and 2014, or 2014 and 2018, of course. Uh, but you have to go back quite a while to find a scenario where a governor who was that popular has lost. Okay, we'll move on to Nevada Senate race here. Not a lot to talk about because we already moved the governor race last week. I think a lot of people already expected this. We do expect the seat to flip to the Republican Party. Um, at, we, we expect Adam Laxalt to win this race. Uh, the, there's a question as to whether or not he can underperform uh, you know, uh, Joe Lombardo by enough to make a, a difference here. We don't think that's the case. Uh, we're pretty bullish on Republicans in Nevada in general right now. If you look at our House ratings, we, we expect Republicans to carry three of the four seats. Uh, so we're expecting a pretty good cycle for Republicans. Obviously, you know, this could change, but I think this is one we're fairly confident about, about, uh, about the Nevada Senate race here. Yeah, so uh, obviously the early vote in Nevada is kind of a big storyteller. Obviously, they had a very good day yesterday. Uh, in terms of their mail-in ballots, their early votes, they had a very good day there yesterday. Uh, but the fact is, is that we do think that the Clark firewall is going to be a little bit less than 2018. And number two, we do think that independence, uh, we expect independence to grow relatively significantly against uh, the Democrats here in Nevada this time. There's a lot of underlying factors still from COVID. Nevada is a state uh, that was particularly hit hard. Uh, by COVID-era restrictions. We know we think at this point we're out of COVID-era restrictions for sure, but some of the economic effects are most certainly still being felt. One of those places is most certainly Nevada. Obviously, the tourism industry there is the big part. Uh, ski country up near uh, in Reno and Washoe County and uh, in Las Vegas, Clark County, of course. Las Vegas, the biggest tourist hub in maybe all of America. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just hard for us right now to see uh, Republicans not winning Nevada. Again, we think it would be not like a large margin or anything. We're thinking two to 3%, not a large margin or anything, but still, uh, we think this is a year where we think Republicans are able to pull it out this year. Uh, we think we're going to be able to see them do well enough. We think those rural areas as Republican as they already are going to go pretty significantly, even more Republican than they are. We think we're going to see another swing back towards Republicans and Clark and uh, Washoe, County, Washoe County up there in the North Reno. If if both are, if uh, if you see either Republicans win that on the night, it's probably a pretty good sign mm -hmm. uh, that both of those candidates. But our predictions have come true in that both Laxalt and Joe Lombardi, who we like Eric said, we already shifted to lean Republican earlier late last week, uh, are winning uh, their races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of good news for Democrats here. Uh, good job, Democrat dummy mander. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're pre-recording this on the 6th. Um, last night was a good night for Democrats on the mail-in side, but they've had a few bad nights too. Um, mm -hmm. And the clock's running out and the firewall is not nearly where it needs to be if independents are breaking as hard as we've heard they are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, 
And so, yeah, again, we're expecting a pretty good night for Republicans in Nevada. And a state where we're, we're very unsure about is Oregon. Uh, we've moved Oregon to lean to Democratic. This is actually a one we had a last-minute staff call to, to change. We originally were going to shift this to lean's Republican. Since then, we have been concerned by some of the polls that have come out. Not the blueprint poll, not the F uh, the F5 or whatever the poll, polling firm was. There was a, a, like, yeah, FMG. The, again, this is the pollster that had Doug Jones up by one in in Alabama last uh, last cycle. What are you talking about, Eric? That totally happened. <laughs> That's not the one we're concerned about. The one we're concerned about is Emerson. Uh, Emerson came up with the poll. It showed uh, Tina Kotek up. Kotek petted an internal. We don't care about that. What we care about is the Emerson poll is concerning. And it's concerning in a specific manner. Is that The Bessie Johnson share of the vote seems to have substantially like we expected. Um, is it possible Christina Drazen wins this race? Yes. If, there, if we had toss-ups still... This would probably be one we would be keeping at toss-up because we genuinely don't know what's going on. That being said, as someone who has covered Oregon extensively, Oregon has not elected a Republican governor in 40 years. This is as good an environment as any to elect one. And even then, this is going to be still be a challenge. You know, a lot of these left, a lot of these voters that are left outstanding are Democratic leaning from what we're expecting. Um, if Drazen can get 45, 46% of the vote, that might be enough. But this is still a state Democrats do really well in. Despite how unpopular, um, you know, uh, Kate Brown is, this is a state we have. We do think Republicans will have a good night in the House. We think they'll win a district, uh, Oregon fifth congressional district that they did not previously have. They have a shot, and of course, the six. We still have that at Leans Democratic on our list, but we think this one, by a very small margin, will go towards towards the Democrats in this race. Yeah, I mean, look, we did not shift based on one poll. Mm. Um, it's more that that poll kind of, I think, reminded us, yeah, th wait, this is still Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, if, Betsy, if Betsy Johnson is pulling in 10%, then I think Kotech has a steep hill to climb. But if Betsy Johnson's at 4 or 5%, I like Kotech's chances a lot more. Remember, mm -hmm. this is Oregon. There are simply more blue voters for Kotech to pick up than there are for Drazen. There's a mm -hmm. ceiling for Demo for Republicans, what, 43, 40, 44, 45%. In statewide, it's been anywhere from 44 to 48% or so, because they did lose gubernatorial races uh, by smaller margins, like in 2010, 2014. But yes, the Republicans typically are around 45% statewide races at most. Yeah. So if Betsy Johnson is pulling in 5%, Democrats have a majority of the voters there. So if you assume that Johnson is only taking Democrats, four or five percent, that still puts Kotech over. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just I don't see it. Yep. Now, what we'll, uh, again, we're going to try to pick up the pace here a little bit because we got a lot of races to go over here. One big one, Pennsylvania Senate race. Uh, we have been keeping this one in our back pocket for a while. Uh, we've kept this toss up all throughout the summer. Uh, thanks to our election team head, Joe Szymanski, unlike some other rating sites, cooler heads prevailed here. We did not move this to Leans Democratic. And we, have, we had very clear reasons for this. We expected Republican voters who did not like Oz to ultimately go into the Oz column. What have recent polls and what have recent indications shown? Republican voters shifting back into the Republican column at the last minute. I'll let Joe kind of explain here more because this is his state. But I think it's pretty clear why we have moved this. I think most other forecasters are going to go in the same direction in this race. 
this one is very much, it's the big M word, folks. It's the M word. You know what it is? It's momentum. The momentum feels like it's going behind Oz right now, and I think it's very hard to disagree with this. The momentum in the last kind of three weeks to a month in this race have definitely shown a shift towards Mehmet uh, Oz. I don't think that's a super arguable topic, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the facts are is that right now we do, we've seen this shift, this polling has got, it was wide and then it was narrower and then it was narrower and then it was narrower and then boom, we're right here right now. And right now we do think just because of the fundamentals of this environment, even if it's an even environment, that would still be nationally some sort of about five, you know, whatever you, whatever metric you use, three to five point shift in the environment towards the Republican Party. We do think that will be enough to carry Mehmet um, Oz over, uh, over the line and into the United States Senate. Now, obviously, this is kind of hinging very strongly on our theory of slightly less polarized gubernatorial races. Well, we have Pennsylvania's gubernatorial election between Josh Shapiro and Doug Mastriano right now at likely Democratic. We would be uh, fairly shocked if Mastriano uh, <laughs> pulled, pulled out that race. I would I would even say strongly shocked at this point. I, I uh, think I'd be more shocked if Mastriano pulled it off than if Zeldin did, honestly. Yeah, good <laughs> point. It sure would feel like it, doesn't it? But it's very, but that we do think, and I think this is being voiced by a lot of other people, that we do think that uh, there are going to be ticket splitters in Pennsylvania. Uh, there are people in suburban areas and in certain parts of the state that will – leave their ballot blank, they would write someone in, they would vote for Shapiro, and then vote Oz for Senate, uh, just because of kind of the negative atmosphere that has very understandably followed around Doug Mastriano and his uh, general election campaign, because uh, he, he has done a very poor job of bringing in uh, voters that are not the Republican base. Yeah. Can we even call it a campaign at this point? Like, It's very hard to. Very, very hard to. He's doing <laughs> a thing. <laughs> It's not a successful thing. Again, like no. we have New York at safe Democratic. It would honestly feel more shocking if Doug Mastriano won because there's been nothing going on with the gubernatorial race for months. And at least, and at least Zeldin is campaigning. Yeah, he's campaigning hard. Uh, Mastriano is is he's not running a very effective campaign. Let's just put it that way, if you can even call it that. No, um, and and the recent polling shows that. Uh, Seven percent of voters say they would have voted for Fetterman without the stroke. Mm -hmm. um, I think that clearly shows why the why the momentum shifted. Obviously, the stroke happened before the general election campaign started, but the debate clearly did have an impact. I don't love that, but that's the reality. Mm -hmm. We'll move on to our next one now. This is again one that you could kind of have guessed from our previous ratings. We've had the uh, we've had the Senate race in Wisconsin. Pretty much all cycle at, at leans Republican, uh, even as again polls briefly showed a lead for Mandela Barnes. This quickly dis, this quickly vanished in the midst of a, a basically a month of uncontested negative advertisements uh, towards the Barnes campaign, which he's never really been able to come up with an answer for. The Senate, the governor race, though, has been more competitive here. Uh, Tony Evers is the incumbent. He has middling approval ratings. Not by middling, I mean literally middle of the road, about 50-50. Um, they're not very strong, but they're also not exceptionally weak. Uh, Tim Michaels is a the Republican candidate here. We've been – he wasn't the expected nominee. Most people expect Rebecca Clayfish to get in. Michaels is known for losing a statewide race in 2004. Uh, 
we we do think Michaels is favored here. We think again, there's not a lot to talk about because I think this is pretty obvious from a previous rating. We think this will be closer than the than the Senate race. We think that there are voters who will vote for Ron Johnson for Senate, but will vote for Tony Evers uh, for governor. Uh, keep in mind that Wisconsin has Republican supermajorities. Uh, Republicans basically run most of the show in Wisconsin right now. Evers is just kind of functioning and sitting there calling special sessions and doing a lot of things that aren't exceptionally controversial. So, again, there's not a ton to talk about here. We do expect Michaels to win, but we don't know the margin. We think it will be closer than the Senate race. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think like Eric said, there's, I think, very easy explanation here. We just think the late momentum, again, showing towards Michaels, he, the, the latest polls kind of have him in an average of one to two points. Some of these are very, very solid polls here in Wisconsin. We just like Wisconsin a little bit more than we like a lot of other these Midwest states right now for Republicans. I think the addition of Johnson on the ticket, if he does, again, pull out kind of an expected three to four, three to five point victory, that's going to help Michaels. It's going to be a boost. You know, I think a lot of these federal campaigns and kind of campaigns have gone against each other and not necessarily helped each other all that much. I think that's not the case in Wisconsin. That's not really the case in Wisconsin. Michaels, while an outsider candidate, has not been a disaster candidate by any means. He has not, you know, really done anything that's necessarily gone off the rails. And uh, we think that he is favored. We think this could be the start of Wisconsin starting its slow trend to the right for Republicans and potentially becoming a state that Republicans win without winning the presidency starting in 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some, there's some good signs here for Republicans, of course. Now move on to our House race. We're going to kind of speed through a lot of these because some of these are more interesting than others. So let's start out with some of the Republican ones. We have 10 flips to Republicans, eight to Democrats. So let's actually start out. With the Democrat ones here, these are not flips, by the way. These are, by flip, I mean they're moving them out of the column. These are just toss-up races. We're shifting out into the open, uh, into leans. So let's start with the Democratic ones because there's less of them. Uh, A pair of these to start out with, Connecticut 5, Illinois 17. Uh, Connecticut 5, internally, a lot of discussion on this one. I'm personally pretty high on the Republican in this race. I think if there is a wave election sort of thing, New England is one of those areas where you could look at a fifth has a weird Democratic incumbent running a strange election strategy, uh, a pretty solid Republican in a part of the state that tends to vote more Republican uh, in gubernatorial races than otherwise. At the same time, this is a race where this is a double-digit Biden seat. This is a district that has been basically unchanged for the last two decades, and Republicans have not carried in a long time, even if they had close races in 2010 and 2012. In the district, we we just think that Democrats are fundamentally favored in this seat, um, even if their nominee is making some unusual campaign choices. Uh, and in the seventeenth district, again, this is another redrawn seat. This is even further gerrymandered from the previous iteration. Uh, we do think Democrats are favored here. Again, Illinois top of the tickets not looking too great for Republicans, even if this thing is closer than expected. This is still a seat that federally votes Democratic. And frankly, there's not been that much money and attention spent in the 17th Congressional District of Illinois. Could this one flip? Sure. But we're pretty, we, we moved these into the Democratic column. If we had more attention on these earlier, uh, it could give us a better picture. We do think Democrats are favored in these two districts. These double-digit sort of Biden seats in, or high single-double-digit di- Biden seats in Biden one states. Uh, any thoughts on these before we move on? Yeah, I think you explained our I think you explained our reasoning pretty well there. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Main second district. Then this one had a lot of internal debates. We had to revisit this. Uh, we are t- we are going. We do think Jared Golden pulls this out, but there was a lot of discussion on staff on our on uh-huh. our discussion over whether or not polarization will catch up to this district. This is, of course, a district that Trump has won twice now. He's won it by fairly large, high single-digit margins. If this is a much more wave Republican year than expected, if this is an even year, that's still a five-point shift. If this is a R plus three to five year, on the other hand, this is, again, this gets trickier and trickier for Democrats to hold. We do think Jared Golden is favored here, but this is one we could easily see, uh, if this is bigger than expected, going the other direction. Um very white, very rural working class seat, lots of French speaking voters and in the we, north, even. We we do want to pre- preface, excuse me, preface that um uh, we do expect Republican GOP gubernatorial nominee Paul LePage to mm-hmm. win this district by a pretty healthy margin. We do yeah, wanna... again, this is a concern for us. This is one of those you would probably be keeping in a toss-up if there was a toss-up column, but we don't do that here. Unlike some websites, we actually call all of our races here at elections daily. Uh, and we do feel it's best to put our cards on the table and at least give you an idea of where we think this one is going. Golden is about as good of a Democrat as can fit this district. Um, it may be a matter of time until this one fades for him. But for now, with the with the Republican nominee being previous representative uh, who was removed by Golden himself in 2018, Bruce Poliquin, not a great fit for the seat. We didn't feel comfortable enough going out on the limb for the Republicans here. Yeah, and there's really no poll like there's no polling that suggests Paula Quinn is up. Mm-hmm. Um, all the polling shows uh, Golden up, like by a small margin, sure, but by enough. And with the uh, independent being left leaning, along with ranked choice voting, I, I think it's pretty. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say Golden is favored, even if this could flip. Mm-hmm. There was a yep. lot of debate, though. <laughs> yep. Again, yeah, this is something we thought about. We thought about. We're still debating about. I'm unsure about this one personally. I know we've had a big discussion on this, but this is where we're setting it down at. Two other Democratic ones in the Midwest: Michigan's eighth district, Minnesota's second district. Uh, we do have Michigan's eighth district. Uh, Dan Kildy, we think he'll win another term here. Th- this is again one of those borrowed time Democratic seats. This is the Tri Cities area, um, Flint, Michigan. Um, you know, going up into some of those other areas in the northern, uh, in, in outside of the finger or outside the mitten, the 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 mitten, uh, the finger portion of the mitten, kind of stretching up the coast. Um, we do think Hilly holds it out here, but this is again one of those next cycle or a cycle beyond that. This gets harder and harder for Democrats to hold, and that's necessarily not necessarily because of uh, like trends as much as it is that Flint uh, the very heavily black, very heavily democratic mm-hmm. uh, city in this area and its outer suburbs are bleeding population currently. It's one of, it's kind of more like Indiana's first where not necessarily that it's necessarily always trends as much as it is, man, the democratic vote in this district is either dying off or leaving back towards uh, more urban areas and more urban cities. That's kind mm-hmm. of what's happening here. Michigan's eighth. It's kind of why it's on borrowed time. Here. Mm-hmm. You could say the and, same for Saginaw yeah. as well up in the north. Yeah, and it's worth noting, again, we do think Kildy is a pretty strong incumbent, um, much stronger than we think. Again, we have Indiana 1 going the other way. We'll explain why. We do think Kildy has a pretty strong incumbent appeal in this seat. Um, Minnesota 2nd District, this is one where, again, we had a lot of discussion on this one. Um, it's a closer-than-expected seat down ballot. Angie Craig does not perform better than the top of the ticket. 
Uh, on the other hand, Republicans have a pretty low or have a pretty high ceiling in this or low ceiling in the seat. Uh, Jason Lewis won this district a couple of times uh, with fairly small percentages of the vote. Republicans basically always rely on the legal marijuana now party candidate to win the district. And for the second cycle in a row, the legal marijuana now party candidate has died during the election. I have joked Sounds like a curse to me. Yeah. I have joked that being the legal marijuana now party candidate in the second district of Minnesota is probably the deadliest job in the country at this point. Um, <laughs> a facetious argument, but we, we don't think that the Republican candidate, we think Tyler Kistner is a good nominee. He's a good nominee for the seat. But even with Craig being a little bit of an underperformer, Democrats are doing well in Minnesota statewide. We, we have that governor race that likely Democratic. Um, this is still a district that voted for Joe Biden, by, I believe, about seven to eight percentage points. So pretty strong seat for Democrats. And it's one where, again, Republicans don't win the seat with a majority of the They have to rely on coalition. Um, you know, they have to rely on the Democratic coalition splintering off into third parties usually to win this district. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty, pretty yep. easy saying there in the second district. Yeah, this is a race that we could see getting wrong is kind of in that same range of a uh, Connecticut's fifth and Minnesota's second, where if it's a maybe slightly better than expected night for Republicans, we can see Tyler Kistner getting over the line. Uh, but it's just a little, the math there's just a little bit too hard and the fundamentals there are just a little bit too hard right now. Mm -hmm. uh, for us to see that victory occurring for Kistner. Now we do have two kind of hot take seats. This is more in Dylan's end of the woods, uh, New York 17, New York 19. We have these both at leans democratic. This may come off as a little bit of surprise to some, especially the 19th district. This is only a Biden five and a half seat. Um, on the other hand, it also has Ithaca. It has Binghamton. It has a lot of college-educated areas with high propensity, high turnout, white Democrats. Um, this is when we could get wrong if, if again, we, if Zeldin does way better upstate than we expect. Um, that being said, Molinaro did lose the special election. This has a – Ithaca gave insane margins to the Democrats – uh, th that's why we're kind of leaning Democrats on the 19th district. The 17th, though, this is one we could, this could be interesting. Um, Democrats pouring money into a seat does not mean, or parties throwing money into a seat doesn't mean it's actually competitive. We do think Sean Patrick Maloney is in trouble here. That being said, the 17th is still a very difficult district for Republicans to win long term. It's bluer than it used to be. Um, it's mostly a new district for Maloney. Uh, Republicans winning this really no, it's entirely, no, yeah, it's it's entirely almost new. entirely a new district. Aside from his because he's a carpetbagger. Yeah. Again, Rockland County, Westchester County in particular is the problem here. Rockland, if Republicans get really good votes from the Orthodox community, uh, this could be one that could sort of flip to them. But we're it's a, this is this is a more fringe seat that is really specifically being targeted because Sean Patrick Maloney, Republicans want him out. They want to get rid of the DCCC chair for the for or at least make it close for the second cycle in a row. Uh, getting rid of yeah. it would be a major embarrassment for national Democrats. It's almost like nominating a candidate who has no relationship with the Jewish community in the district and kicking out one who does is a bad idea. <laughs> who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we think this is closer than expected. We do. Again, this is when we could see flipping. We could see a lot of upstate looking a little bit different if Zeldin really does manage to overperform. If we're if it's a bigger wave than we expect, for right now though we do favor Democrats here. Finally, in our Democratic column, Oregon's sixth congressional district. We don't think we, we had this move to toss up. We're moving it back to Leans Democratic. This is when the Republican nominee is flawed. The Democratic nominee is spending money. We think this will be close, but we are leaning Democrats as a double-digit Biden seat. If Drazen wins, she should be carrying this district. 
But again, we don't think Drazen is winning. And this is, again, this is Oregon. This is still a very difficult state for Republicans to compete in. And on the and on top of it, uh, the Democratic nominee is not out of step with the district in this one. No. Yeah. So let's speed through again the rest of these seats, and then we'll go into our big board. California 13, this is very similar to the 22nd district. This is an open district, very heavily Hispanic. This one, unlike the 22nd, uh, this one's probably going to vote for the Republicans in the gubernatorial race. Uh, we do expect Republicans to carry the 13th district in California. Indiana 1st Congressional District. Low, this is like very similar what Joe was saying with the 8th. This is even more concerning for Democrats because they're bleeding four to five percentage points in election in the seat. Um, they, Republicans have a good candidate here, Jennifer Ruth Green. Frank Mervan is new to the district. His family name is known here, but he is not especially uh, well you know, entrenched in the seat. And on top of it, this is just a major, major trend to Republicans. If turnout is lower here and we expect it to be lower among the African-American community in Gary, this is a seat Republicans would be expected to carry. And we expect them to carry it. We do expect Republicans to flip the first district. Um, one we had a little bit of debate on was the seventh district, at least a slot can seat in central Michigan. This is a very, very narrow marginal seat voted for John James by about a point, Joe to, or by about, uh, I think a fraction of a percentage point, voted for Biden by about a point, um, and then votes a little bit less than a point below the statewide total in like the gubernatorial races in 2018 and a bunch of other races. Slotkin is good. We think Slotkin is a pretty good Democrat for the seat, but even in a five point shift, an even year, like some people really want to think this thing is going to be, um, this is still a seat that you would expect to be flipping or on the verge of flipping. I mean, do we think Slotkin is that good of a nominee to overcome that? Ultimately, we don't. Um, I know there's been some discussion on this. I want to kind of throw it out there to kind of give more of our thoughts here, especially to Dylan. But this is a seat where we do think just on environment alone, Republicans have a very, very good shot at picking it up. And that's why we moved it to Lean's Republican. Yeah, I flipped my vote on this. Um, I I was thinking this should be a Lean's Democratic seat, but the environment is just it, it's not there. Um, mm -hmm. There's been some evidence that this is going to be a relatively even year. But like you said, even then, it's it, this is a seat you would expect to flip. I do think Slotkin is a slightly better candidate um, than I think we're giving her credit for. But I don't know. I, I was very mixed on this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of mixed thoughts on this one. Nevada first, pretty boring seat overall. Uh, Dina Titus is, was kind of pilloried by a lot of Democrats early on for complaining about the Democratic dummy mander. Uh, turns out she was kind of right. Uh, we do expect Dem Republicans to flip the seat. Uh, the only one, we only expect, I think the fourth district is the only mm -hmm. one we have Democrats expected to hold, ironically, with the weakest of the bunch of the Democrats, Stephen Horsford, <laughs> who suffered from a bunch of scandals relating to his personal life, but as the safest Democratic seat of the bunch. This is still a Biden single digit, high single digit seat, but Titus is, is struggling here. There's a poll, Emerson poll showed Republicans up by big in the seat. Um, we do think this is one that will go to the Republicans in the long run. Yeah. Uh, two Ohio seats here, Ohio 1, Ohio 9. Ohio 1, we've been debating for a while. Ohio 9 as well. Uh, for a while, it looked like Vance be substantially underperforming Trump. I think most of us expect a marginal underperformance at worst from Vance. Um, not enough to put these seats at risk. The first, of course, will be won by DeWine by a large margin. Uh, Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio. And then the ninth is again, this, this Trump trending seat with a lot of blood red areas. Even though J.R. Majewski is a horrendous candidate with a lot of personal flaws, you could easily see an Ed Durr scenario here where 
where you know there's not a lot of money spent. I don't know why I haven't compared this race to TJ Cox and Valadao in 2018. Honestly, yeah, that's a really good comparison. That's I don't a know. Really the good Ed Dur right Yeah, yeah. TJ Cox is not as funny as as Ed Dur, but yeah, you're right. This is like this is a yeah. The Republican is flawed here. This is also a seat that's that voted for Trump by four is trending Republican has voted Republican in most elections. If you look back at it, we think Marcy Kaptur is that great of a candidate to hold against that wave. We ultimately uh, don't. Um, she's good, but she's not faced a competitive election here in a long, long time. Yeah, I I do not agree with this uh, flip. I understand the logic. I do think um, both the flaws with Majewski and Kaptur being a very entrenched incumbent will keep her in. Um, and yes, Majewski is horrible. I mean, we've all seen the rap video. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have and there's I, I think there's a reason the uh nrcc triaged this seat mm -hmm. um and i don't think it was because majewski did something they found objectionable um they supported donald trump for four years yeah um, this is what we could easily see flipping in other words if we're wrong about the fundamentals here if we're wrong that voters are willing to overlook majewski's many 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 flaws as a candidate. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, finally, four more Republicans. We'll, we'll zoom through these. Pennsylvania 8, Pennsylvania 17. We expect Republicans to win Pennsylvania. We expect Republicans to win both of these seats. Matt Cartwright's seat became redder in, or bluer in redistricting. That being said, we were not. We don't think he has enough to get over this line of the Scranton-based seat, yeah. even with these new additions. This is if we're even again even year five point shift. This is like a plus eight at the top of the ballot. That's a big stretch to hold on to, especially in something that could be worse than that. I, I did vote for Leans D on this one as well. The same reason as uh, Ohio 9, mm -hmm. although the Republican is not as bad as Majewski. No, it's not. The 17th is the 17th district. Again, this is actually a bluer seat. This is voted for Biden by a, by a couple points. Uh, has generally been more, Repub or been more Democratic, but... Again, we expect Republicans to do well in Pennsylvania. We expect them to, to carry the seat. This is the sort of district you would expect to flip in an election where Republicans are gaining a lot of points off of 20, uh, 2020. Finally, two more for you. These are blue seats here. Rhode Island second, Washington eighth. Rhode Island second is when we could easily see going wrong. If all the polls here were wrong, and again, none of them showed the Democrat up this entire cycle. None of the polls have shown uh, the Democrat here up over Alan Fung. We'll, we'll admit we're wrong. That being said, looking at this, Fung has his own personal strong brand in the district. Uh, this is a district. This is a district that has trended Republicans over the long run, and Democrats just are not very confident in the nominee to the point where even their own internals have have uh, have the nominee down. So we didn't feel like we could go out on the limb and say this is leans Democratic. That being said, would it surprise us if all the polls were wrong and Fung was only stuck at 48, 49 percent? It wouldn't, but we have to go off the evidence we've been given, and there's frankly very, very little evidence here that, that presents Democrats in a good situation here. Kind of want to throw it around here because this is this is a little bit of an interesting one. I, I I am a little bit uneasy about this one myself, even though I did vote to make the Celine's Republican. We'll, we'll see we'll see what happens, but it could very easily be that the holes were off here. We really don't know. There's not been that many of them, and, and frankly, this is a, this is a double digit Biden seat. This is a lot of Providence, yeah. Rhode Island. And Fung, uh, polls have overestimated Fung before mm -hmm. in, in, a, in uh, mayoral races, so it's not. it wouldn't be unheard of. Um, it wouldn't be. 
but we can only go on the evidence we're given. Mm -hmm. And the evidence here is, I mean, shows a pretty clear edge for Fung. Uh, yeah, that's you, really all it can be. Yeah, you can't account for polling errors because mm -hmm. you can't measure those. You can't. Uh, and then Washington 8 final, we move this one to Lean's Republican. Kim Schreier has underperformed compared to, Demo uh, to Democrats in the district before. This is a seat that likes down-ballot Republicans nearly voted, for example, for Dino Rossi in 2018, among other things. And on top of that, Kim Schreier got below 50% of the vote in the primary. Democrats will say, well, Democrats got almost 50% of the vote in that primary. The problem is in Washington, unlike in California, where Democrats tend to gain from the primary, Washington Democrats tend to lose vote from the primary. And they so we, still got, and she, Democrats combined still got under 50. Under 50%. Yeah, she got 48.9%. Again, if you're expecting to lose votes like Washington typically does, this is one we would expect to flip. We're going to show you our big board of races. These are the ones that we're really focusing on. These are our big maps uh, of how we expect the selection to go. So we're going to go ahead and start with our gubernatorial races here. Final gubernatorial races. We expect Democrats to have 16 of these and Republicans to have 20 of these races. We expect two states, Nevada and Wisconsin, to flip to the Republicans and two states, Massachusetts and Maryland, to flip to the Democrats. Obviously, you can see here most of these go the way we think, but there are some interesting de deviations from this from the um, from thing. You know, we got New Mexico, Oregon, and Kansas in the same category as Michigan. We've got Democrats is likely in Minnesota and in Pennsylvania, states we don't have on the board: New York, Oklahoma. Eating cricket. They'll never go on. <laughs> I'm eating a cricket if New York flips um, on stream. But and we Joe is eating a shoe. Don't a hat. I'm boiling a hat, dummy. Yeah, oh, you're boiling we a hat. Okay. I'm <laughs> Again, like we, we, I know other outlets have Oklahoma at likely Republican, New York at likely Democratic. We just don't see a path to victory for either of those other parties in these states. We expect Oklahoma to be within 15 or 20 at least, and we'd probably expect New York to be within 10 to 15. This could be closer in a, you know, if, if there's really surprise here, but we don't expect major surprise in these. In fact, these are the least interesting of our races to go over. Not a lot of fun stuff going on in these gubernatorial races of the cycle. So let's go over to the Senate races. These are the big ones right here. We expect Republicans will take control of the Senate. 51 Republican states, 48 Democratic states, one state going to a runoff, Georgia, or going to, uh, in the second scenario, going to Herschel Walker outright, which would be 52 Republican states. On top of this, two other states we're keeping an eye on, Arizona, New Hampshire. Uh, Arizona, again, Blake Masters has been pulling better than expected in recent weeks. Will that be enough to take him over the line? We don't think so. But the possibility is there. And oddly enough, New Hampshire, which we had kind of written off by the end, there's been a Don Bolduc surge as of late in New Hampshire. Um, something nobody uh, saw coming. <laughs> uh, by surge, I mean instead of losing by 10, he could maybe lose by four or five. There were a couple of polls showing him up. This would be the least likely of the bunch, but if Republicans are winning New Hampshire, it would be a catastrophically bad night for Democrats. I've written about this before. If Republicans have 54 seats going into 2024, they have a serious shot at winning a supermajority of Senate Senate uh, in the Senate in 2024, you just based off of the seats on the table. You don't want to see what Donald Trump will do with a supermajority. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like Democrats don't want to see that scenario. That being said, even if even if Georgia goes to Warnock, even if these other states go the same, we do expect Republicans to have 51 seats. That is enough for a majority. That is enough to prevent things from happening. That's also a tenuous majority. Uh, again, you only need uh, the vice president breaks ties. 
but 50 to 48, even you need three Republicans or you need two Republicans to be absent to actually have Democrats passing things or changing their votes. So this is a pretty good situation for Republicans. Could be better if they had better nominees in states like Arizona, New Hampshire, but I think they'd be pretty satisfied with the results we had. Two states on states on the outside looking in, the likely states, uh, North Carolina and Ohio, likely Republican, and Colorado, likely Democratic. Of those, Colorado is the least likely of the bunch to be really competitive. Uh, but we do expect, we think it's in a similar sphere of, of likelihood of flipping as, as Ohio and North Carolina. We expect Bud to win anywhere from three to eight percentage points. And we expect Vance to win by high single digits or low double digits. Um, so that is our Senate ratings. Thoughts here before we go into our House, our final portion here, which is the House big board. No. All righty, let's go into our house ratings here. These are the these are the most interesting ones of the bunch, I think, because there's so many of them, and there's a lot going on here. All of our house ratings. So you look at the ratings here. We have a bunch of seats in that leans our column and a lot of seats in that leans dem column. Not a lot in the likely Republican or likely Democratic comparatively. We have Republicans projected to have 236 seats in the House of Representatives. Democrats to have 199 seats in the House of Representatives. This is a big, big, big gain for Republicans. It's questionable whether this could be considered a wave. I think so. I've heard some people, say, some people say 240 would be a better a better threshold. But 236 is a very comfortable majority for what would likely be House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. This is enough where you have enough votes where you are able to comfortably get things mostly done without worrying about the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, the... Uh, uh, of the world, the more radical end of the caucus, the um, the, the Freedom Caucus people. Uh, again, you look at this right here. Most of those leans Republican seats. A lot of those are flips. Look at the, the the colors that are shaded are the type of seat that it is right now. We only expect Democrats to gain two districts that Republicans currently hold: Michigan third and Illinois thirteenth. Illinois thirteenth is because of redistricting, and Michigan third is because Republicans utterly botched their primary. Uh, on top of that, we have Oregon 6, which is a new district. The Republicans are expected to, uh, to uh, Democrats are expected to win. Colorado 8, the new district Republicans are expected to win. And North Carolina 13th, in previous versions, it had been marked as a new seat. I have marked it as Republican because Republicans already hold the 13th district and the 14th is technically the new one. Um, but again, out of the new seats, only two of these are on the board across the entire country, these new districts. Um on top of that, we have more – for comparison here, we have more seats going – more Democratic-held seats going likely Republican than we have leans Democratic seats that were already held by a Republican. We have four likely Republican seats, Arizona 2, Arizona 6, uh, Texas 15, Wisconsin 3 that are already held by Democrats. So bad news if you're a Democrat. We also expect Republicans to win all three seats in the Rio Grande Valley. On the other hand, we expect Democrats to win 17, 18, 19 in New York, uh, kind of – holding on to their Hudson Valley majority right now. So before we close off here, let's go to the panel here. What do you think about these house ratings? What do you personally kind of disagree with, agree with? I know I have some stuff I want to say that is kind of out on a limb, but I want to hear from you guys. What are you thinking here? Is this sound the right threshold, 236 to 199? I think broadly, even if the districts are off, this is a fairly reasonable projection. This would put Republicans at about 23 seat gains that currently hold 213 seats mm -hmm. in the United States of Representatives. We currently have Republicans gaining 23 seats, uh, which puts it about what I would say my gap is. I would say I expect Republicans to take anywhere from 20 to 30 seats personally. Uh, so this is right in that margin for us here. Uh, this is this is about some of the some of the seats I think I agree could be off. 
Uh, maybe the, the Central Valley in California is not as good, but maybe the Hudson Valley in New York is a little bit better for Republicans, and that offsets each other. Uh, you know, we could see the you know, same could be said, maybe that, you know, again, Central Valley is not as good, but maybe uh, Northeast is, and maybe Connecticut 5 flips along with some of these mm-hmm. Northeast seats that we could see flipping here, too. It'll be a very interesting night. It's going to be a long night. We're prepared. We're so, so excited. Uh, to be with you guys all night on on uh, Tuesday night, tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe it's already here. It's been a long cycle. It sure feels like it, but uh, we are ready to go here. I'm very excited. Though. These two guys are very excited. We're going to have a full six-person panel we plan for uh, on Tuesday night, including Kraz Reinich, Jacob Walters, and Adam Trencher. Uh, you'll find us here. You'll find us live, and you'll find us ready to go. We're so excited to be here with you guys, and uh, we'll see what happens. We're ready mm-hmm. to go and finally count some votes. Yeah, I'm basically at the same. I think my map is 201, 234. Uh, very excited for Tuesday. Uh, very excited to start the 2024 presidential primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that we can say. But again, uh, just for those who are watching in the audio podcast version, I'll go ahead and explain numerically our, our totals. 164 safe Democratic, 15 likely Democratic, 20 leans Democratic, 199 total. Republican side, 194 safe Republican, 12 likely Republican, 30 leans Republican. That's 236 on the whole. Um, one more question for you guys. Out of all of these ratings here, if you could flip one district from our ratings, what would it be? If you would, if you could change one of these things, which is your projection to go against our predictions, the most likely seat to go against what we projected? Oh. Pennsylvania eight, either Pennsylvania eight or Rhode, um, mm-hmm. or Ohio nine. Minnesota second. Good choice. I would say for me, it'd probably be either Connecticut five or Alaska at large. Um, I know I am very much in an island here. I am a lot less bullish on Peltola than others, and I will explain why on the stream. Um, I do expect her to win, but I would not. I would be shocked if she gets over fifty percent of the total votes including voided ballots i think that's gonna be a lot closer than a lot of people are expecting but the fifth is the fifth of connecticut is one i'm really interested in seeing because if there is a wave in new england this would be where you would expect seats like this to start flipping i'm surprised your choice wasn't new york 19. yeah new york 19 i i wouldn't be shocked if it flips but i do think there is a reason we have it i i am kind of persuaded somewhat by the college educated voters argument by by ithaca by binghamton by these Mm -hmm. other high propensity turnout areas for Democrats that will turn out more in midterms than comparable areas throughout the rest of the state, like in Long Island, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, with that, that is the conclusion of our episode here. These are all of our ratings. Again, for those who are just uh, to to conclude here, uh, we expect Republicans to win control of the Senate with 51 seats, potentially 52. If Walker does win, that uh, does avoid a runoff here. We expect Republicans to have a majority gain of 23 districts in the House, 236 to 199. And they expect Republicans to gain two governor's races and lose two governor races to the Democratic Party. Um, with that, thank you guys for listening and watching. We really appreciate all of your support. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. You'll want to be here tomorrow. We have live election coverage starting at 6 o'clock. You can go to electionsdaily.com. We have all of the ratings for you. We have big maps of the results that they come in courtesy of Decision Desk HQ, uh, who supply our data and supplier and uh, uh, corporate overlords, as you might call them. Uh, we have all of that on the website. We have our YouTube link there as well. 
Um, you can watch us on Twitch, of course. Wherever you're at, feel free to like and subscribe. It really does help what we're doing. Uh, we'll also probably be answering some questions throughout the night, so be sure to give us those, interact with the chat, and all of all of that as well. Uh, but with that, again, thank you guys so much for watching. We'll be here tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Uh, but with that, have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow.